We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. series still active in the NBA things heating up in the NHL a full season ahead of us essentially uh, in Major League Baseball so make sure you're doing that over at WinBet Alex Brutha back on the pod Um, we're we're about what hour and a half two hours from the tip of game four Warriors Mavs so per usual uh, we will not be doing a like one hour breakdown of a game that is about to happen before at least 90% if not 95% of, of listeners uh, even download this episode. Uh, but I want to do kind of a series reset. It would feel weird not to address it. First of all, for posterity, are you expecting this series to be over uh, by the time we check in either later tonight or, or early tomorrow morning? I wouldn't be surprised, but I do think, uh, I think the Mavericks can win this game. Like backs against the wall. Like they've proven throughout the other parts of the playoffs. I mean, <laughs> a game seven against Phoenix was decisive you know, playing without Doncic during the early portion of the Utah series. Like I I would be kind of surprised if they got swept here, even though the, obviously the Warriors are amazing, but I feel like they, the Mavs can pull out a win here. So I agree. I agree with you in that coming into the series. If someone said, do you think the Mavs are going to get swept? I would say absolutely not. No chance. But based on how these first three games have gone, I I could kind of see it now. Like I I don't really know if you're the Mavs, like does this team strike you as the type of team that's going to rally together and say, like, look, we just got to get this one, and then we got to get the next one, and then all of a sudden we win game six, we force game seven. Like, I just don't get that impression from this team. Like, it it feels like they knew. I mean, literally every team that's ever gone down 3-0 in NBA history knows that once you lose that third game, there's just no coming back. And, look, at some point it's going to happen. We're going to see a comeback like that. But, man, I I, I just don't see it. I don't don't see it. I mean, if they win tonight, I, I think they probably lose game five. I think most people would agree with that. Um, I, I think they're they're catching the Warriors at a uniquely bad time because 
the Warriors had a chance to close out Memphis in five games. And all of a sudden they were down 55 points and lost that game by, I think, 39. Um, so I, I feel like the Warriors are on like high alert to avoid another situation like that tonight. Um, I, I think they're going to be maybe more focused than they normally would to try to close this thing out. And, you know, if, you, if you're trying to search for motivation on the Warriors end, you know, you, you're looking at a pretty major rest advantage if you close this thing out uh, in four oh, yeah. games, you know, over whether it's Boston or Miami coming out. I mean, we got game five of, of that series in the East on Wednesday. That series will wrap up at the earliest on Friday. So if Golden State wins tonight, you're looking at a minimum of a three-day advantage in terms of rest. And if that series were to go to a game seven, that would be on Sunday. So at that point, then you're looking at essentially a full week uh, worth of an advantage for a team that has a few guys banged up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's huge for Golden State if they can do that. I, I think you're I completely right there because the you know the the Celtics needed seven games to get through the Bucs series, which was basically, that was a rock fight. Like, just like such a physical series. And now they're dealing with the same thing in Miami Heat. Like, completely physical series. Um, I think these guys are going to be beat up and gassed by the time they get to the NBA Finals. I'm expecting the Celtics to win. But the fact that the series is 2-2, like, when it maybe should be... You could argue the series could be over already or 3-1 in favor of, of Boston. Um, you know, I think by the time they get to the NBA Finals, yeah, if you're going up against a fresh Golden State Warriors, that's a that's a recipe to, for disaster for, like, the first two games. Right, right. I think Gold, Golden State is smart enough to recognize that, you know, having been through this before. Uh, we, we talked about the success uh, of the Mavs role players, especially the shooting in round two against Phoenix and kind of questioned whether or not that would carry over to the conference finals. Uh, it has not carried over. Suffice <laughs> it to say, I, ironically, Brunson, Finney Smith and Doncic, who I, I think Finney Smith had a good shooting series in round two, but Doncic and, and Brunson didn't shoot it all that well from three against the Suns. They're, they're both North of 40%. They're playing fine. You know, the, the Brunson Doncic Dinwiddie trio uh, has carried Dallas in this series, but um, Reggie Bullock, Maxi Kleba, Davis Bertans, those guys are shooting 33%, 14%, and 13% respectively from three uh, in this series. And I mean, that was an all-time no-show by the supporting cast. You know, outside of those three guys, Brunson, Didwitty, and Luca, who accounted for 86 of the 100 points on the map <laughs> side Sunday night. I mean, we we, all, we saw a similar no-show, I feel like, from the Bucks uh, in game seven, um, you know, around Giannis against Boston. But Giannis himself also didn't play that well. So it didn't really feel that bad. I mean, you could argue, I think, like I said to Jeff on the radio today, if the Mavericks got even like a D or a D-plus game out of their role players, they win game three. But they got an F-minus out of the rest of those guys. Well, yeah, because they lost by nine. Reggie Bullock goes 0 for 10 from the field. You know, 10. Kleber, 0 for 5 from the field. So, yeah, I mean, in a normal situation, like those guys are combining for, what, three, four, three-pointers? And then, At obviously, least, that's, yeah. that's the difference. Um yeah, I, you know, it, it is tough to have faith in these guys. I, ironically, because they they were able to, uh, like the past two series, they were playing so well. I mean, so you have to give credit to the Warriors, I think, right? Like, it's not yes. like I've been high on, I, it's not like I've been the highest on the Mavs role players, right? When they traded Persigas, I'm like, well, these guys, you know, Doncic is, maybe the, the system makes sense around Doncic, but these guys aren't actually that good. But, um, they were playing so well the first two rounds that I think at this point you have to, yeah, just tip your cap to Golden State and how they've been able to limit them. Yeah, I mean, Golden State, uh, really on both ends, deserves a lot of credit. They're shooting 53.1% from the field as a team. They're at 39% from three as a team. 
and you're limiting Dallas to 41% from the field and 32.6% from three. So I think part of it is Dallas probably played a little over its level, especially some of the shooting games that it had uh, against Phoenix. You know, Torian Finney-Smith had eight threes in one of those games. And I want to say that game was still fairly close. Like that was one where if he doesn't go off, Phoenix maybe steals it and the series is totally different. So I, I think Dallas, you know, maybe inflated its reputation a bit against Phoenix, but yeah, a lot of credit has to go to Golden State because I think it was, it felt like it was almost becoming a trendy pick to take the Mavericks like in six games in this series after beating Phoenix. And it turns out that maybe Golden State has just been the most consistent team all along. Yeah. I mean, I, I had some reservations about the Warriors just because, you know, that first round against the Nuggets, it's not like they won those games by a lot towards the end, right? Like they came out pretty hot in the first two games of that series, but the final three games of that Nuggets series were all close. Um, despite the lack of talent on Denver, and then they end up going against the Grizzlies. No John Morant. They get they got outscored, the Warriors did, in the non-John Morant game. So I'm like, what does Golden State really actually prove through these first two rounds? Well, on the other hand, the Mavericks, I think, proved a ton in the first two rounds. Um, but, I, you know, ultimately, the Warriors are the better all-around team. And, um, you know, their scheme, it's just going to, it's, it's going to win out here. All right. That was like six minutes on, on the game that uh, is happening in two hours. So we'll, we'll move along <laughs> to Celtics heat. I, I think that was the right amount. That was the right amount. Um, this series, you know, I know you were just on, on VEASAN about a half hour ago before we hopped on here talking with Stormy about this series. And she said, you know, how frustrating is it as a fan to watch these games? And you feel like, you know, last night, for example, I was, I was working out after work, got a quick workout in. I'm like rushing home from the gym to catch the start of the game. And I sit down and like two minutes in, I'm like, why I could have stayed another hour. Like, why did I even come home for this? And it's kind of felt like that's how every game in this, in this series so far has gone. And there's been a lot of them, even looking back through rounds one and two uh, throughout the playoffs, you know, not every game is going to come down to the final minute, but I mean, we've had some extreme, extreme blowouts where, you know, even though Boston on Saturday night was able to claw back into that game, you never really felt like they were going to win it. Miami always held control. got a little dicey there. Uh, for a bit in the second half, but you know we, we've seen such extremes, whether it's in the first quarter uh, over the last two games or in the third quarter uh, of game one of this series where one team is just so dominant for 12 minutes that it makes the rest of the game just really seem like it doesn't matter. Right. I've had the same experience as you where I've like gone to work out or gone to the grocery store. And I'm like, oh, I'll catch a second half or something. And then I get home and it's like, oh, well, Celtics up by 25. I, why, you know, why even turn it on? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think part of this has been like, you know, the guys have missed time. Like smarts only played in two games. Uh, you know, Rob Williams has played in three. Derek White's only played in three. You got injuries. Obviously hero missed the last game. Like it injuries have been a big part of the series, but now I feel like it's completely, um, like, I feel like Boston, despite this being a two, two series lead, everybody's talked about like how many quarters Boston has won, right? They've won all but like two quarters, I think, or something like that. And this series, uh, I actually looked this up. I looked this up yesterday. I think this was before uh, this game. They had won, I think, nine of 12 quarters. They had yeah. won or tied nine of 12 quarters. Right. But I feel like at this point, they're in the driver's seat mostly because I, I feel like Miami is just. I think the injuries are just piling up like way too much for them. Um, Butler was not right last game at all. Um, Hero missed last game. He's not going to be healthy. I think even when he comes back, Lowry can't shoot a basketball um, or play more than like 25 minutes. You have PJ Tucker 
Um, not a hundred percent either. So I feel like at that point, like if you can't, you know, Bam, <laughs> Bam had his one game right where he looked amazing, and then the Celtics were like, "What if we make this one small adjustment?" And he goes back to taking like five shots. Yeah. Um, very bizarre, but I I feel like it's I can't I just can't imagine the Heat winning this series at this point. I don't know if I go that far. I mean, it, it's it's ironic because Boston has been just as injured. I feel like you know, but Marcus Smart has missed two games in the series. Um, he missed one in the Milwaukee series. They're they're two and one without him. They they uh, or excuse me, they're yeah they're two and one without him. Two blowouts by twenty plus points, and then the loss in Game One, which they controlled outside of that disastrous third quarter. So it, it feels like Boston's banged up. You know, they were without Horford for that game. You know, Robert Williams has been in and out, but they kind of seem to not miss a beat. You know, as long as Tatum is out there and Brown is out there, they seem like they're going to be fine. Whereas, yeah, last night, I mean, Miami, what, they started, what, 0-14 from the field, barely got to double-digit points in the first quarter. Uh, like, it was clear that not only were they missing Hero, but uh, quite a few guys were not at 100%. I still don't think they're out of this, though. I mean, they do have home court. They're coming back home for game five. Um, it, it This feels weirdly a lot like the Milwaukee series to me. Um, in that, you know, Miami has controlled the series so far. They won game one, they won game three. You know, they're always, they've always been the team that can quote unquote can lose a game and it's not that big of a deal. Um, but you still kind of feel like Boston's a better team. You still feel like you trust them to put it all together. And it's funny because the odds for this series, you know, kind of mirrored the odds for the Milwaukee series where, you know, it, it took Milwaukee winning multiple games in the series for people to finally say, uh, you know, maybe they should be favored. Like uh, the odds always indicated that, all things equal, Boston is the better team. And that's what we're seeing yet again here. And it, it kind of feels like we're headed toward a similar result in that Milwaukee series where I think Miami could get one of the next two. But if it comes to a game seven, Boston is still the team that I trust more. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right in that both teams have been dealing with injuries. I think my concern is that if Jimmy Butler is actually this hurt, then it's over, right? Right. I mean, that's the difference. It's like Jason Tatum's not hurt for the Celtics. Jalen Brown's not hurt for the Celtics. Al Horford's still out there. Mm -hmm. Um, if Jimmy Butler is really this hurt, then yeah. I don't think, and same with Tyler hero. I mean, they need Tyler hero to score like 15 a game, like consistently. Um, and Oladipo has been good, right? Like Oladipo has been stepping up and that's important. And maybe that can save them for a game or two. But when you're getting like seven points out of Kyle Lowry and it's just like, I don't know how they're going to generate offense. If, if Butler is really playing at like 60% or something. Yeah, that's the biggest difference. I mean, if you want to say Butler is is their equivalent to Jason Tatum, you know, if Jason Tatum is playing at 60%, you're going to be in trouble if you're Boston. But for the second straight series, too, Miami just can't shoot. They can't shoot the three. No. Um, you know, a, a lot of the role players who struggled against Philly are, are struggling again. And you can get away with it against a Philly team that was injured and all out of sorts. But uh, this Boston team, I mean, you, you're really not going to be able to get away with shooting around 30% from three. And I, I think... Thanks to Duncan Robinson knocking in a couple in garbage time. They're up closer to 33% now, but they were hovering around 30% coming into that game. You know, Max Drews had a disastrous showing last night. Gabe Vincent, you know, been hot and cold. Jimmy Butler, not even though the numbers look okay in the playoffs, like not really ever someone you're going to trust from three. He is one of seven in this series. Uh, all, all those role players, like it felt like Miami was maybe the deepest team in the league. Uh, partially because they were pulling guys out of nowhere. You know, Struess and Vincent being number one and number two in that category. I mean, Struess was so good that, you know, the guy they're paying $90 million was just out of the rotation <laughs> and still kind of is. Um, and, and a lot of those guys have just kind of fallen back down to earth at the wrong time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Miami has some problems in terms of like, 
they aren't a very good like they have guys who are individual guys like Struce, great from three, right? Hero can get hot. When Duncan Robinson's allowed to play, he can shoot the three. But it's like their spacing isn't very good because Adebayo doesn't shoot threes. And Butler, you're not scared of him from the three-point line. So you have two non-spacers out there. And then, you know, then they're not getting... They don't really get to the free-throw line a ton either. And so it's like they're, you know, like they can't take advantage of the switches because Bam can't, like, do that much in the post. Like, he, he did, you know, again, he did in the previous game, but then it, it just fell right back to earth. And it's like if you can't shoot efficiently, can't get to the free throw line and are basically getting out rebounded. Um, tough to win a series. Yeah. So looking at the odds for the series right now, it's Boston minus 175, Miami plus 145. That's, you know, it is two, two. So we have to remember that, but that's not tilted as in favor of Boston as I'd have expected. No, I mean, I, I mean, I, I would take that. I, I mean, I would take that minus 170 just because again, I, mm-hmm. I, I can't trust Miami, but yeah, I mean, you never know because I mean, Miami's got Miami has a home court advantage if it goes to a game seven, right. and that's huge. And you figure if it goes to a game seven, that means Butler's been healthy. Uh, right. You know, you unleash Haslam. And, exactly. Yes, you send Udonis Haslam. Udonis Haslam is going to get better numbers than Bam Adebayo. Um, yeah, so I, I can understand someone like wanting to you know entertain the idea that the Heat. Uh, but I just don't think those odds are good enough. Like if it was plus two hundred, plus two fifty, sure. I'd be like, okay, yeah, like let's yeah. you know let's do it. But not plus one, what forty? Did you say? Um, yeah, I, I just I find myself going like swinging wildly back and forth between how I feel about a lot of these teams, and it, it happened in the earlier rounds too, like way more than I want to. But when you when you like some of these results have just been so shocking and so stark that you know after watching Boston collapse in that third quarter of Game One, you're like how could they possibly win the series? But then you see him come back and blow out the heat in game two. And you're like, man, Miami's actually terrible. And then Miami comes out with a huge first quarter at Boston and blows Boston out of the water in game three. And then you're back to saying, oh, maybe Boston doesn't quite have enough. You know, Miami's tougher. How are they going to stop Bam? And then Bam goes for nine points in 28 minutes in game four. Like nothing, there's just no consistency, uh, especially with these two teams. But this series has been, it's been so hard to read. I just, I really feel like I'm going into every game saying like, I know one of these teams is going to be up 40 to 10 at the end of the first quarter, but I have no idea which one it is. <laughs> yeah. You really have to like try to take a step back and, uh, you know, kind of like look at the teams as a whole. Like you have to kind of get rid of these like extreme individual results and just kind of look at on the aggregate, what's happening and what these teams look like, uh, take out a lot of the garbage time. You know, I think that's a huge part of it too. When you start looking at these numbers, it's like what, 70% what? of the series has been garbage time. Well, exactly. Right. And like, so, you know, at least there's like, if you use cleaning the glass, for example, if you use that site, they filter out garbage time. So you're actually getting like mm-hmm. real numbers on what's happening in these series. You know, it'll be like, we filter out the last eight minutes of this game because there were no starters and, you know, the game was not within 15 points. Um, so you can gain some insights from that. But yeah, it's it's hard to like, you know, because playoffs is chess moves anyway, right? You expect some like big games out of teams because they make a pretty extreme chess move and it works out and some teams hit some threes. But when it's just constant, it's hard to even know what you're looking at sometimes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we got uh, a tweet out of nowhere from Sean Serenia of The Athletic last week that uh, essentially implying that the NBA is, is very much moving forward with plans to implement an in-season tournament uh, that would likely begin with the 23-24 season. So two seasons from now. Um, usually when we get news like this, uh, it means that it's almost for sure going to happen. Yeah. Uh, very rarely does a report like this come out and then nothing, nothing comes of it. Um, if, if it gets this far, chances are it's going to happen. Uh, but still, a, a long runway for this. You know, again, nothing's imminent for next season. Uh, but but the goal would be to to have this presumably midway through the the 23-24 season. However, we have no details on what this tournament will look like. Uh, so you know, we don't we don't have like a ton of hard facts or really any facts to discuss here. But I just want to ask, like, one, what is your initial thought on this idea? Obviously, it's not a new idea. It's something that's been around for a long time. It's been tossed around as a possibility. Um, but before we get into what this could look like, what we'd want it to look like, uh, are, are you pro or against adding an in-season tournament? Just the overall concept of it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about it in general, but I would say if I had to lean, I'd say against. Partially because it feels like a little unnecessary. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think the NBA, they're in a mentality of like the regular season is broken, right? Like, the players don't think the games matter, et cetera, et cetera. And I get that. Or like, you know, fans, you know, the are, the ratings are down and like nobody's watching Orlando, Charlotte, you know, in the middle of like uh, November or whatever. And it's like, it are people going to watch Orlando and Charlotte because it's a midseason tournament in January? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. Um, how about you? Yeah, I feel the same way. I if, if I had to say, you know, if I had to cast a vote, are you for or against it? I guess I would say against it. But we also have to consider where we stand as like, you know, the 0.1% of people who like follow the NBA day to day. Like I, I, I got into the NBA because, you know, there's, I, I like just how it's run. I like the league. You know, I, there's a lot of like kind of nostalgia stuff that you think about. Um, and the idea of implementing something that's a pretty major shakeup 
Um, really something that the NBA or, or you know, most American pro sports uh, hasn't really seen. It feels a little gimmicky to me on the surface. Yeah. Uh, it feels unnecessary. But you also have to remember that, you know, we are not the, the audience that the NBA is worried about. You know, where they're, they're worried about pulling in the more casual fans. Like they want to be they want to be on the NFL level where, you know, you're, you're pulling in people who really don't necessarily even watch sports or wouldn't consider themselves sports fans. But they're going to tune in to watch a Packers game because of the implications, you know, and I don't obviously the NBA is never going to get to that level. I don't think in America, but I, I also think that they're willing to try things like this. And I, you know, I, I just, it, like I said, it, it feels unnecessary to me. It, it feels like, you know, this, this kind of alleged downturn in viewership and like, you know, kind of this belief that the league maybe hit its peak around like the Warriors Cavs 2016, 2017. And it's been a little bit of a decline since then. Um, you can quibble about whether that's true or not, but to me, I think the league is in better shape than people seem to think. I think the pandemic messed up a lot of things. And once all that standardizes, I think the league is going to kind of go back to normal. So, you know, forcing something like this through as kind of a, a short-term band-aid, I assume, to, to try to recoup some of the money that was lost during the pandemic. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't love it. But at the same time, it's not something that's going to, like, radically change the league. You know, if, if it, at, at worst, it's just, okay, that was a little weird. Um, hopefully it doesn't have too many implications for, like, who wins the actual finals. Yeah, and I mean, part of I, – I think part of it to – well. <laughs> I just like I want to know if we're going to end up with more games now. I like. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you're adding, you're pre presumably each team is playing at least one game. If not, you know, to make this worth it, you would think there'd be a way for teams to play, you know, two or three games, like a loser's bracket or something, maybe. Yeah, I think you have to eliminate some regular season games, right? I mean, I it's hard to say how many, and this is also going to lead to a situation if it's if it's quote an in season mid season tournament. You know, that implies that some teams are going to play more games than others. So are we going to end right. up with a situation where whether you're cutting regular season games or not, like are, are the teams that make it all the way to the final of the midseason tournament, are those teams going to end the season with 84 games played and teams that lose in the first round are going to end with like 77 games played? Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if the, the rounds, assuming they would be more than like three games, right? You can't do like a five game, uh, best of five no series for a midseason tournament i don't think i mean my guess is they'll just bump it up against the all-star break like it'll be the midseason tournament and then when that ends that gets the all-star break um yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I, was, how many... I was thinking about that but in that case do you have to move the all-star break up due to timing or just does it does it really matter if this is right in the middle of the season versus closer to the two-thirds mark i don't know um you uh I, I think it's a fair question. Like, do you want this before or after? I think you have to ask, do you want this before or after the All-Star break? And, or do you want this before or after the trade deadline? Mm -hmm. Do you like, do you want to have a midseason tournament before the trade deadline? Does that make sense? It could kind of go either way, right? Where you could say like, well, because we did so bad in the midseason tournament, we need to make a trade. Well, <laughs> or if you, you know, if you do it after, then it's, right. um, you know, we were loading up for the midseason tournament. It, it totally depends what the incentives are. Yeah. If it's just if it's just money for the players, I, I just don't I don't really see this catching on all that much. I don't think the players, I mean, unless we're talking like exorbitant amounts of money, I don't think it's really going to matter to these guys who are already making a ton of money and are you know, seemingly willing to throw it around um, contract wise, you know, a little more willy nilly than other sports. Um, you know, the question is, so what is on the line here? Is it, you know, I, I know like Simmons and Priscilla were talking about the possibility of like 
luxury tax relief or, you know, extra money for your, your end of the bench roster spots or a trade exception, something like that. To me, that seems, I, I, I kind of like that idea, but I think that's tough to sell to the public, right? If the yeah. whole point of this is like generating public interest in the NBA, you know, are you kicking it to commercial with like a trade exception is on the line here tonight <laughs> in this championship game? You know, like I think you need, you know, you need a little more pageantry. Like there has to be like a briefcase of money or, you know, is it, you know, does each win count for two wins on your actual record? Like it has, it has to be something I think that's a little easier for the average fan to follow. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I was like, I, I don't think they're going to do that. I, you know, they, those two guys brought up like, quote unquote, super wins as well. Right. right. Which I think makes a little more sense. Um, or maybe I don't think you could do like a first round buy situation if you won the, the midseason tournament or you start their first playoff series up one. Oh, like that might be too crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't want to so yeah. I don't want this to mess with the actual playoffs. Right. Right. So, yeah, other than like extra wins and money or like weighted wins, I should say weighted wins and money. I don't I don't know what the incentive would be. And I don't know. I think, you know, if you're if you're pulling back the amount of regular season games, I don't think there necessarily has to be incentives because it's not like, hey, you're playing more games now. It might be like, well, we only play 68 games now. And then, you know, you're the average team is going to end up playing 10 midseason tournament games. Uh, so you're basically playing the same amount of games and then there's the right. play in tournament as well. So those teams will get up to, uh, you know, 85 games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm very but- interested to see what the overall format is. You're like, are, are, are they picturing more of an NCAA tournament type of thing where it's just a quick, you know, this thing could be done in a matter of, you know, four days where yeah. you're going from, you know, you're, you're obviously you'd have to factor in some buys given the number of teams. Um, but you know, you're condensing this field very quickly, or is it something where, you start with like a pool play round and then you, you know, then you get your seeds and you move into this and you're playing, you know, are you playing back to backs? That's another thing. Like it, there's just so many factors here. And, you know, if, if you go the route of, I know it's been discussed, you know, informally in the past of does the winner like automatically get a playoff spot or something like that. You know, you lock yourself in no matter what you get a playoff spot. I, I feel like there's a route depending on where they go, where this ends up leading to more issues with like players taking games off and whatnot. You know, like if you're, if you're a team in first place um, and let's say you're like the 2017 warriors and this is happening, you know, you're in, you're in first, you then you blow through the play in tournament and you get, you know, two wins per win there. So all of a sudden you're up like 15 games on, <laughs> on the rest of the Western conference. Like, right. Is that really going to incentivize you to play your best players the rest of the way? Like it, see, I, I think there's a lot of competing factors here where if the, M- the NBA wants to reward these teams, but you don't want to create a system where they're, rewarded so much that it devalues the remainder of the regular season, because the whole point is to keep these guys incentivized. You know, I, I, that, that is one criticism of the league that I'll agree with is that it, it truly does feel like the regular season has been greatly devalued just in the last few years. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, what are you supposed to do? There's 82, you know, 82 regular season games. That's a lot yeah. just in terms of like what it means. You know, it's like, it's not like football, right? Football, they play what 17 now. Um, so 17. like every, yeah, every every game it's like it means a lot. Like basketball, you know, three four games a week. Uh, it's just I don't know, man. They just they don't feel that impactful. I mean, it's more impactful than like baseball, where it's like you know the the it's like very little every regular season game. But I don't know, man. I don't know. 
I, I'm interested just to see what the details are. You know, I'm willing to give this a chance. I will not go into, I promise, hold me to this when we're doing podcast in like September of 2023. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I promise that I will be optimistic. I will be open to it. I, you know, maybe it's going to be great. You know, maybe, it, maybe it'll be in Vegas. It'll turn into this cool league event. I, I do like the idea of rolling it into the all-star break, kind of making this the featured attraction. You know, maybe the all-star break is two weeks. Um, but then of course you run into disadvantages of like, does it, would a team deem it more valuable to, to get the two week break and just lose on purpose right away than winning this whole thing? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there, there could, we, we haven't mentioned like lottery implications, pick implications. <laughs> right. I, I think the catch with that. And, and again, this is all, there are very minute details here that will determine all this, but the catch with, with rolling lottery picks and stuff into this is you have players who are you know, playing for themselves, but also for the franchise, you know, I guess. So like, if you're, if you're like the 12th man on the Miami heat and winning this play in tournament means that, you know, you guarantee yourself like a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. Is that good for you? You know, like that means you're bringing in another right. guy to take your spot. You know, you're, you're like asking the current roster to help the future roster, which is not necessarily going to be the same. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think I think ideally the NBA would love to like have the losers bracket. Like if you win the losers bracket or something, sure. then you get like higher odds in the lottery. You know, hey, let's make these bad teams try to be competitive, sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they'd love to do that, but I, I agree there is sort of competing interest for some of the guys. All right, yeah, that was that was all over the place. We'll we'll keep talking about this as we get more details. There's just there's so many directions that this could go. It's it's hard to, right. um, you know, kind of have like a sanctioned conversation on on where something this abstract is, is heading. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the NBA draft lottery. We're almost the almost exactly a full week removed now from that happening last Tuesday. We were mid stake league dinner uh, in Madison at the time that the lottery happened. Luckily, we were able to stream it on, on very sketchy phone service over at the tornado room guys need to get on that but uh we get the, the magic at number one the thunder at number two the rockets at number three sacramento four and detroit five this feels like kind of a more classic lottery you know there's no there's no like weird team crashing the top five like these these top five are, are definitely bad teams that have been bad for a while uh, it feels like these are like the five teams that you would put in the lottery uh, if everything went normally um so we saw detroit drop down a little bit we saw sacramento jump up technically three picks, but you know, I saw that the Kings jump up to four. I'm like, how are they not in the top four anyway? You know, like it kind of seemed like they were, they were in that bottom group. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, it's a little weird seeing Indiana at six, a team that's like almost never in the lottery. Um, you know, yeah, you, you have the, the Blazers at seven, they've been a playoff team. Uh, you have a playoff team this year in new Orleans at eight. Uh, but, but overall we have bad teams uh, very much in need of talent at the top. <laughs> yeah. The Kings were only four wins out of the play in tournament. <laughs> Uh, to put that into perspective, um, that's, on, that's yeah. on the Lakers more than them. Nah, that is that is very true. Um, yeah, I mean, this is I, I do like this lottery because it it just it is helping the young teams continue to build. Um, Orlando's getting a little interesting. They just keep stacking guys at this point. Like it doesn't even, you know, obviously that they they've been tanking or just haven't been good for a while. But um, I feel like. They're they're putting together something interesting. Cole Anthony's look good. You got Wagner, the the Wendell Carter Jr. contract. I don't know if they're like that committed to him. Um, Suggs, I I still have some hope for. I think, you know, I think them getting the number one pick is is really interesting because they are putting together a pretty nice young team. Yeah, they're in a spot where it doesn't 
feel like there's a ton of pressure there. You know, like they've done a good job stockpiling like players who everybody feels good about, but they're still missing the guy. You know, like they need their right. they need their Kate Cunningham or Anthony Edwards or you know I, I don't know what whatever any star player X who's under 25 years old. Like they they still need that guy. And I think the hope is that if, if you take Chet Holmgren, it could be him. If you take Jabari Smith, maybe it could be him. Um, but it, it's going to be really interesting to see if they do. You know, for a team that that like they're one of those teams that doesn't really have like a clear need. It's like you could pencil in like Anthony, he's their point guard. Suggs, he's the shooting guard of the future. You have Wagner on the wing. Um, you know, maybe Isaac, depending on whether whether or not you think he's ever coming back. Uh, and then if not, you have the the Carter Bamba duo, which worked out relatively okay uh, this past season. So like they're they're the rare team picking number one that doesn't really have a clear need. But you know, one thing you would think on paper they don't need is to add yet another like long-armed big man you know I didn't even mention Chumo Kiki um and if you think Isaac's coming back like that that's a guy who you know contract wise is a big part of your future so like on paper I don't know that it makes sense to add Chet Holmgren but they're also the team that it would be number one on the list of teams that would love to have Chet Holmgren based on the other players that they've drafted so I, I think they probably take him I mean the way that the draft is breaking down unless we see Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp or Dyson Daniels like really shoot up the boards in the next month, like they're really, you're picking between three power forward slash centers, essentially um, in, in Holmgren, Jabari and, and Beccaro. So in some ways they're kind of locked into doing that. So by, if you're, if I'm Orlando, I'm just taking the highest upside player because right. no matter what, there's going to be some positional overlap there. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, again, I like Carter, Carter's on a movable contract. I think teams would still be interested in Bamba. Um, at the right price of doors, oh, yeah. like a backup big. So it's like, yeah, you shouldn't worry about the positions because again, like you mentioned, it's just like, you know, like Cole Anthony doesn't project as a number one option. Neither does Franz Wagner. Neither really does Jalen Suggs. Uh, I don't know what you're doing with Markel Fultz at this point, but he's not going to be a number one option for your team. So yeah, just take someone that you hope you can sort of uh, turn into a number one guy or maybe even a number two guy and, and work the rest out later. Um, yeah. But it's a good spot to be because, like, for example, contrast it with Golden State in 2020. You know, there was a lot of pressure to nail that pick. And yet here we are. They, they completely botched it, we think. I mean, Wiseman <laughs> has given them nothing, uh, literally played zero games this year. And they're, they're still going to probably end up in the NBA Finals because they're the Warriors. Uh, but there, you know, there was a lot of pressure on, like, this is the guy. Like, we need to hit this. You know, I mean, imagine if James Wiseman was as good as Evan Mobley. Like, that was, that was very much in the cards when he was drafted. Like imagine yeah. what this team would look like if they got anything out of that guy. Um, but there's a lot of pressure on that pick to bridge the gap between eras. When you're a team like Orlando, you know, like obviously there's still pressure on the front office to to get a really good player with the number one overall pick. But you know, it's not like they're they're not concerned about winning games in 2022 at all. So you you don't really need to get this like guy who fits with the rest of your roster. I, I think it's just like acquire the best talent, figure it out after that. I, to some degree, I think OKC and Houston are in that same spot. Although ironically, OKC, despite, you know, bottoming out as much as possible, like you could argue that they have the most talent in place out of any of these top three teams. Yeah. Yeah. OKC. Um, they're just so they're super flexible and they have a guy right. And Shea Gilgis Alexander, who, I mean, I'm pretty high on, on SGA, but I think he could, he projects as like a number one or two. And so it's like, you, you have enough, you can do something with this pick. You could try to trade it. You have Dort. Like, is he a huge, you know, future part of your team? Um, like, I think I think they can kind of 
they could probably be competitive if they win all in for stuff. If you want to keep building slow, yeah. If it just doesn't work out, then you move SGA for more and you just keep rolling it over. Um, it's good to be in that spot, but you just don't want to run into a situation like the Celtics did where it's like, yeah, you 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 have a ton of these picks, but they just end up all being like you just draft a ton of guys where it's like two out of every 10 are hits. You know, you want to be able to you don't want to hang on to all of these picks too long and never go in. I know you're not quite as deep in the weeds yet on on digging into you know the, the prospects in this class, but in general, you know, just you know the the concept of Chet Holmgren as the <laughs> as, as the uh, you know the highest upside player in this draft, the guy who yeah. I, I think I think most you know even, there are a lot of people who like Jabari Smith and think he's going to go number one. Uh, I, I don't know at the DraftKings Sportsbook for a long time he was the favorite uh, to be picked number one, and he still is. He's minus one forty. Uh, so th- there's a rare, very real possibility that that Chet is not the number one pick, but I think most would admit that if you said take these three guys, if everything goes right, who's the best player? It's definitely Holmgren. Um, if you're OKC and you're of that belief, you know they seem to be one of those front offices that you know when they find a guy they believe in, like they're willing to go get him, and maybe that means taking him over, you know, taking Giddy over Kaminga last year, you know, was kind of crazy at the time. If you're OKC, do you consider dipping into this war chest of assets that you have over the next 10 years to try to move up to number one. If you get the indication that Orlando would be fine landing any of those top three guys. I mean, if you feel really strongly about someone, um, I think you should just do it. Especially again, if you're in the position like OKC where you have so many picks as far as the concept of Chet Holmgren being the number one guy. I don't know, man. I feel like, uh, I'm a little bit on the outside because I don't like sit down and watch full, you know, NCAA games very often, but I feel like whenever, you know, like if someone's posting a clip or clips or a highlight reel of Holmgren, I'm going to watch it. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at least that engaged. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time I watch him, not every time, but there's a lot of times where it's like, you know, they're, they're you're posting a highlight of like someone, someone doesn't box him out and he comes in for a putback dunk. Or he's just like swatting some like six foot four guy who just tossed up some like underhand layup. Like I, I feel like I'm not watching. Like it just to me, it doesn't feel like I'm seeing a lot of like true like NBA moves. Like and that's basically what I'm looking for if I'm watching highlights of guys. Like is that an NBA move? Did he looks make someone who was trying extremely hard and I believe is talented look stupid? Um, I feel like I'm just not seeing that from him, and that combined with like his frame concerns yeah. me a lot. Like Bolt, like, is he bigger at all than Bull Bull who like cannot play in the NBA? I'm serious. Like Bull Bull cannot play in the NBA. He's too skinny. Is Chet Holmgren bigger than him? No. I, I that would actually be a really interesting like lineup. I, I think Bull Bull is probably taller than, than Holmgren. I, Holmgren might, taller, might have like, yeah. a, I think Holmgren might have like a little bit of, thickness on bowl but not it's not i mean it's close it's very very close it's probably the closest like body to body comparison out there i'm telling you though man, like the best thing to happen to holmgren is Giannis's physical transformation because people are going to say like Giannis was right. just that skinny and look at him he added weight and look that's probably not realistic for him to get that big um but he's going to add weight at some point like i i'm i'm definitely a believer in the concept of chet holmgren um <laughs> I, there are going to be some wherever he ends up there are going to be some big time lows as a rookie, you know, there are going to be games where much like Akinzaga, you know, he's got three fouls in like four minutes of action. Um, you know, he's going to be a target. Like he's going to get pushed around like crazy as a rookie. But I, I still think long-term, you know, having watched a lot of Jabari Smith, having watched a lot of Bancaro, 
Like if, if you like, if you're telling me I get to keep this guy for the next, you know, four to eight years, that is for sure the guy I want. I, would I pick up to win rookie of the year? No, no, definitely not. I think he's going to struggle, but I think long-term he's going to be really good. Yeah. I mean, he, he does kind of feel like, I mean, as long as you're, you know, banking on the idea of him at, at, like adding <laughs> sufficient weight, it's like, what's his absolute worst case scenario? Like a Miles Turner who can run in transition and pass a little bit, like a three and D kind of center, very modern. Um, yeah. So like that, like his game, I like a lot. And I think his game is, is really interesting. Um, I just, for me, I have a hard time separating when I see him go up against like some unranked college team and like blow past some like kid in transition. I'm like, yeah, like that's what he's supposed to do. Like, you know, yeah. like he's, he's talented and he's tall. Like, so I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. Right. It's just, he is, I think he's polarizing for a very good reason. It's hard when there's not a template, you know, we've really yeah. not seen a guy like this. And like I told James a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, I, I think the fact that he's white, it just like breaks everybody's brains. It seriously does. <laughs> like people are just like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough too because there is still a lot of, you know, there still is a lot of college basketball being played that is not like NBA basketball. There's like two bigs on the floor. There's a center who's six foot seven. Um, they're trying to feed the post. They just like can't do it. Um, you know, no three seconds, mm -hmm. right? He's not gonna be able to camp the lane like he does in college a lot. Um, you know, so I I think that's tough as well. And it's just like, you know, he doesn't. You know, it's like people compare him to Giannis, right? And like, it's a, it's a completely different situation from like where Giannis came from and like the exposure that was on him. But the Bucks took Giannis like in the middle of the lottery. Like they took him at what, like 14th or something. So oh God, yeah. yeah, it's, it feels a little different to me. Um, you know, and I think Holmgren has shown more than Giannis did, obviously, but um you know, and I was like, I was wrong about Trey Young. I thought Trey Young would struggle. He struggled early on in his rookie career. He's ended up being one of the better point guards in the NBA. But um, I'm just like not. I'll I'll be that guy who's just like not sold on home, Greg, and like, he'll be amazing. And I'll be like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> Number one pick, one of the best college players in the game. I'll be like, this is absolutely shocking to me that he's good. <laughs> I said he wasn't going to be good. How was he good? Yeah. Uh, all right. Last thing I want to end on. I. I I said this to you as a topic because I just, I've listened to so many pods and read so many articles over the last couple of weeks. And I just keep hearing this like belief that it's over for the Suns. You know, they, the West is going to be so much better. The East is, is, you know, back on top, everything, you know, all these teams are ascending and I don't even really want to talk about the Suns specifically. I just want to talk about the idea that like seemingly every other team in the league is going to be way better than they were this year. And the Suns, you know, missed their window which again is probably true. The Suns did probably miss their window. They definitely missed their best two-year window to win a title, especially when you're up 2-0 in the NBA finals in one of those seasons. But I, I want to kind of go team by team, especially in the West. And we could talk East too, if we have time, um, like how many teams can we say are going to be definitively better next season? Uh, like, or essentially how many of those teams would you put ahead of the Phoenix Suns, assuming they essentially return the same roster? Obviously a lot can happen with DeAndre Ayton. If he walks, yeah. they have to find a replacement. Um, but I, I kind of like their chances, you know, if like, for example, if they're able to like trade him to Indiana and bring back Miles Turner, I don't know that that's really like the biggest drop off in the world, you know, and Miles Turner is making slightly less money. Um, you know, you're, you're giving yourself a little more flexibility, but that's beside the point. I, I just want to go team by team and say like, how many teams are, are for sure going to be much better 
next season. So Phoenix Suns, I would say it'd be probably about the same as their best case scenario, right? Like they're not going to be better than 64 wins. No, I think they'll be better. They'll be the same or worse. Yeah, I think, same or worse. Yeah. Probably worse. Yeah. Okay. It's just Aiton, Aiton's a maybe, Chris Paul's older, stuff like that. The Memphis Grizzlies, 56 wins. Do they top 56 wins next year? I mean, like in theory, in theory, they should, right? Yes. That's a lot of wins. I mean, calling like Memphis a 60, basically you're saying Memphis is a 60 win team next year. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I'm not ready to go there. So same, possibly worse. Right. Golden State. Uh, uh, yeah, Golden State should probably be better, right? You get a full season of healthy clay. Kaminga's better. Moody's better. Maybe you trade Wiseman for something. They, I think they should be better next year, actually. I think they should be as well. I, you know, then you have to start looking at, like, the Wiggins contract. I know there's been some talk about, like, do they consider, you know, kind of flipping that and parlaying that into, you know, a different piece who, you know, is a little cheaper and, and maybe fits a similar type of role. They should still be very good. I think the the only argument against it is we did see some decline from Curry this year and you know as he goes into his mid-30s does that become a little more real because you know if if curry drops off or even draymond you know if either of those guys are injured or or start to decline physically um gold state could still be really really good but i don't know that they'll reach that like borderline unattainable level that really no other team can reach on offense right but i think the hope for them is like well pool is going to make up for that and kaminga and like yeah yeah uh okay dallas is dallas going to be for sure better for sure i don't no. know what they are no not for sure and they might lose brunson and then what <laughs> yeah and if you bring it back then it's like okay you're bringing back the same team like they don't they they're kind of like milwaukee in some ways uh you know less advanced version i guess of the bucks where like their team is like weirdly kind of locked in right now you know like you, you don't have yeah. a lot of like movable pieces you don't have like this this stud young guy that you can trade for a different piece like it it kind of is what it is around luca you know, there is a scenario where their books empty, uh, empty while Nikola Jokic is a free agent. And if oh Michael boy. Porter Jr.'s back is that messed up and they're locked in with him and Gordon and Murray, I'm just saying. That would be amazing. I, I wouldn't yeah. really. I mean, we've seen, I don't know, if if, if LeBron and Chris Bosch and D. Wade could play together, if Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant could play together, I, I don't think that's out of the question at all. But I don't know. I think Dallas, like, if they're, they're, we're at the point now where Luka is in like, you know, young LeBron, young Durant mode yeah. where no matter what, you can just pencil them in for 50 plus wins and you figure it out. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to say they're going to be worse, but I, they, it's not like they have a path to becoming like a super team in the summer here. Uh, Utah, 49 wins this year. Uh, kind of feels like this might be a blow it up summer for them. It does, but I kind of wonder if they would rather. I think when teams. Like everybody's so eager to blow a team up, but I think in reality, most of the owner, the, the owner, the general manager, they would rather shuffle and just try to just shuffle the deck a little bit. And then if it doesn't work, then you blow it up. So mm-hmm. for them, maybe they trade Gobert. They experiment a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen with Conley, but they probably will be worse is my guess. Neutral or worse. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I hard to it's hard to say right now, at least. You know, with Donovan Mitchell, you know, it feels like there's a new rumor every week that that he maybe wants to go somewhere else. It's hard to say, like, oh yeah, Jazz for sure. They're they're trending upwards. I, I think yeah, best case scenario is they win like 48, 49 games again. Uh, Denver at forty eight wins. I, I'm fully willing to say that Denver should be significantly better next year. 
A hundred percent. You get yeah. you get hopefully MPJ back. You get Murray back, especially that's right. <laughs> more reliable just, just murray alone like even if Porter's yeah. back like really becomes an issue and it looks like you know it's gonna affect his career like just getting murray back is enough to to bump this team up right it's like composo couldn't even play in the playoffs so yeah. it's like you were throwing him out during the regular season barely it's like yeah it's yeah they'll be better so minnesota 46 and 36 on the ascent um you know even a bit questions about you know can you really trust towns can you really trust really a lot of these guys um in high leverage situations but 18 fewer wins than the Suns last year. You know, they, can they close that gap? Probably not. Like, are we looking at Minnesota being like a potential top three team in the West next year? Um, I don't know, but they should be better. And I also think, I you know, I think their point differential was better than their you know the actual wins that they got. That's part of it too. So you kind of those two things combined. I mean, Anthony Edwards. I mean, Anthony Edwards could just blow up next season and they become a 50 win team just off of his back. You know, if he becomes the best player and Cat's officially your second best player, you're in an amazing spot. Um, and whether or not you believe in Russell, D'Angelo Russell as a player or whatnot. I do not. Right. Uh, but he's still going to, you know, he's still going to give you decent minutes. So I think they could be trending up. They should, they should be trending up. Is there anywhere that you could bet the Timberwolves to win the finals at some point in the next 10 years? <laughs> Are you aware of any books that offer 10-year futures? Uh, no, I am not. <laughs> yeah, I'm highly leveraged on the 2028 finals right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Clippers. This is another obvious one. Oh, like yeah. Denver. Should be significantly better. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we are getting to the point with Kawhi where, you know, we've talked about this before in the fantasy context. I mean, he's, he's not young. It, the injuries are adding up. I mean, this is torn quad tendon, torn ACL. Um, you know, certainly fair to wonder how many games he'll play. But if Kawhi's healthy and looks like Kawhi in the playoffs – you know, this team could go 42 and 40 again, and they're going to be the team that nobody wants to play. So kind of, kind of a hard one to gauge. Well, the good news is that it's impossible for him to be more injured than he was this year. Yeah, uh, so I, uh, I'm going to go over in terms of, or up or however we're phrasing this, they should be better. All right. Clippers up official. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, the Pelicans 36 and 46 should be better. I think, right. I mean, pretty encouraging. Oh yeah. This season. Encouraging end of the season, Zion hopefully will be playing. You get CJ McCollum. I think that's huge. Like you just look at their team now. Um, the core, the core of McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas is pretty nice. Pretty nice team. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. And obviously it's going to hinge on on what you get from Zion, what version of Zion, how healthy Zion is. Um, it is going to ultimately determine their series. I mean, if he comes back looking like the guy that we saw, you know, at his peak two years ago, I mean, this is a team that has an ultra high ceiling. Uh, still, still to me, probably not like a, an actual dark horse title contender next year. I, I think that would be a pretty big surprise. Um, but, you know, with a guy like Zion, I mean, anything is, is theoretically possible. Um, we'll, we'll try to lump some of these teams at the end here together. I don't, I don't think we need to go like, what, what do you think about the, the Rockets? Will they be better than 20 and 62? Uh, <laughs> but, but the Spurs, the Lakers, the Kings – and the Blazers were, were like the non like extreme basement teams in the West this past year. All those teams should probably be better. I mean, it's, it's usually hard to be worse when you're winning games in like the twenties and thirties. But um, again, I don't, I don't really see any of these teams with, I, I, we always have to put an asterisk next to the Lakers. Like I, I guess technically they could be a title contender. Um, but I, I think all these teams are, are still pretty far away from, you know, challenging for a, a spot of, you know, the top four or five of the West. Yeah, no idea about San Antonio. Uh, could still be tanking. 
Yeah, Lakers should be better. Kings, I have absolutely no faith that that team makes any sense. Uh, and then OKC. OKC could be anything. So they're a complete wild card. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers, like I said, are, are that one team where, I don't know, I, they, there have been like miracle trades in the past that have involved the Lakers or have involved LeBron. Like if, if they could somehow find a way to dump Westbrook and get a reasonable piece back, like it's it's not insane to think that they could be in the mix, um, especially with a lot of the power feeling like it's shifting toward the Eastern Conference. But man, I mean, they would need like the ultimate stroke of luck in a team that's like really willing to help out LeBron late in his career for that to happen. I I think he just kind of has to go down with the ship for at least one more year as long as Russ is there. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> if, if the Mavericks can win 52 games by just like dumping Porzingis and just right. rolling out with like Brunson and Dinwiddie, it's hard for me to believe the Lakers can't do the same by dumping Westbrook for just pieces that make sense. Right. I, I think I think LeBron really didn't want to have to play that way anymore, you know, of like being the the Doncic, Harden, right. you know, even Jokic type where it's just like put four role players around me and we're going to win 55 games. Like, I think he still has that in him. I mean, physically, he, he definitely still does. I think he was just like, I'm sick of playing this way. Like, I don't want the responsibility of doing that for 40 minutes every single night. Um, and that's why they went with the, the superstar heavy approach. But I don't know, maybe, maybe they go back. Maybe LeBron's willing to do that if they can find a taker for Westbrook. Like, the problem is the Lakers have not only the most damaging player in the league on their roster in Russ, <laughs> but they also have like arguably the worst supporting cast of any team in the league. Like their, their four through 15 guys were atrocious for most of last year. Yeah. And Anthony Davis isn't staying healthy. So yeah, then right. it's just like yeah. LeBron and a bunch of guys who don't fit with LeBron. So that's, um, you know, that was fine when he was 24. Um right. But now it's, yeah, you're getting, I mean, Malik Monk is like your third best player. So that's exactly that. That's a major <laughs> problem. Like it, the team that won the title in the bubble, like it, it's not like they had the, a superstar supporting cast by any means, but you definitely had guys who fit well around LeBron and fit well around Davis. You know, I mean, Caruso was, was the consummate guy, you know, LeBron always loves Rondo. Rondo played great in the bubble, Danny Green, KCP, like all those guys are gone. You know, they, they basically punted on all of the valuable role players in order to bring in Westbrook. Right. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, it's just you punt on the role players and then it's like, I mean, part of the issue is they thought Taylor Horton Tucker was actually going to be good. Right. Because if, if Taylor Horton sure Tucker is actually good, it's going to be a little bit different. But like he was fifth on the team in total shot attempts, shot 42 percent for the field, 27 percent from three. And everyone else was just like handling the ball instead of him. So it's not like he's racking up a ton of assists or anything either. Um, yeah. I, don't, I think I don't, that they I truly thought, good. I think they truly thought Horton Tucker was going to be their Jordan Poole or Tyler oh, yeah. Hero type. Like, I oh, think 100%. they really believe that. Yeah. Cause you can't, yeah. Getting rid of Caruso makes no sense otherwise. Like, you have to really believe that Horton Tucker is like, this is like, this is our third slash fourth guy. Like, lock it in um but he was not yeah it's it's a bit of a clown show still no head coach for the lakers uh (laughs) as of late may uh but man i i know we got we got derailed just going on a lakers tangent but i needed this this was cathartic for me uh you're welcome (laughs) all right well long story short i'm just saying i don't think the i I don't think there's so many overwhelmingly talented teams in the west even though the you know even though there are plenty of of very good players and very good teams. I don't, I don't think it's like a hundred percent doom and gloom for the Suns. You know, I, I think it's accurate to say there are, there are several teams that are on the rise, 
but I don't think it's accurate to say that all of a sudden, you know, even if they swap out Aiden for Miles Turner or, you know, whatever, whoever would be a slight downgrade from Aiden, I don't think all of a sudden the Suns are just going to be like the seventh best team in the West and, and this is the end of it. No, I think there are just as many teams trending up as trending down. And, um, you know, there are, I think there, I think, I think what people are worried about is that if you get, if, if you move Aiden, there suddenly becomes more scenarios in which this team falls apart. Sure. Um, just because, you know, like I, I'm not in love with DeAndre Ayton or anything in, in terms of his game. I wouldn't want to pay him a max contract unless I thought I was maybe going to win the title after doing so. But, um, you know, it's like, what are you going to do at center? Otherwise, yeah, maybe you trade him for Turner. Chris Paul's another year older, literally cannot stay healthy in the playoffs, cannot get to the rim anymore. Um, you paid Landry Shamit too much money. Yeah, he, he's yeah. there, Horton Tucker. And I, I'm just, and you know, people, people love Devin Booker. Like you and I got in a conversation, like at the beginning of the playoffs, about like uh, Devin Booker's like MVP uh, Finals MVP odds, which I felt like was I, I got into the weeds a little bit about like the narrative of who makes the team actually good. Mm-hmm. I'm just like not that in on Devin Booker. Like I think he's really good. I'm not. I'm not thinking that he might ever be like Jason Tatum. I, I don't even know if he's ever going to be as good as Jason Tatum is. I, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's a hot take, but I, I do think it's interesting how quickly this stuff flips, right? Where, where when Booker's scoring 33 points and the Suns are blowing out the Mavs in game two and look like they're cruising back to another finals, you know, then it's like, man, this guy is amazing. Sky's the limit. He's still so young. But then when he no-shows a game seven at home, you know, we're very quick to just go completely the other way. And and honestly, Tatum himself, I think, has gotten that same treatment throughout these playoffs. You know, like where he goes toe-to-toe, beats Durant in four games, and it's like, is, is he now better than Durant? Like, if you're ranking the best players in the league, do you have to put him ahead of KD? And then, you know, he kind of no-shows game one against the Bucs, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's actually not that good anymore. But then he scores 46 <laughs> later in the series, and now he's back up to being good. Like, I, I think it's more a product of just, like, we're, we're, we're doing our evaluations too often at this point. Yeah, because to me, Devin Booker and Zach Levine are not really different players. Like, not a whole lot different. No, I, I still, I think there's a little more there with Booker, but it's he's closer to Zach Levine than he is Devin or than he is to Jason Tatum. Right. Or closer to you know much closer to a Zach Levine, Demar Derozan caliber of player than he is a Kevin Durant caliber of player. You know, like there's still a, I think there, I think the mistake we make is maybe bringing guys like that and, and even Tatum at times, like bringing guys like that up into the LeBron Durant, even Curry type of tier, you know, where we're, we're, we're very willing to say like, man, he's, he's coming up on Durant when, I mean, Kevin Durant has been that good for like, you gotta, you gotta be that good and that consistently good for five to 10 years before you start entering that conversation. You know, it can't just be one good playoff series. And then it's like, who would you rather have KD or Tatum? Right. Yeah. I, I, it's tough because the, it's all about expectations, right? Like when Devin Booker was leading the team when they were like not winning any games, I was I was saying like, well, I actually think Devin Booker is pretty good. It's just that he has no help. And now that you know Chris Paul kind of began the leader of the team, <laughs> it's like, well, I think he's good, but he's not like you know what I mean. Um, well, it's like you were you were right about that, but then what does it say? I guess about Booker, where it's like you you, you know can you be a top ten player in the league if you absolutely need another guy to be like the most important player? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's it, there's a lot of nuance in that, but I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's fair. Basically, what, I, what I'm trying to get to is, I think it's fair to wonder 
if we get rid of DeAndre Ayton and we and Chris Paul has any sort of real decline or really misses games, and I know they played well without him, but uh, I don't know. I mean, if 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 the conversation that we're talking about is did they did they miss their window? Is there a really good chance they missed their window? I think, yeah, there's a decent chance they missed their window. Obviously, I don't think they're completely out of it, um, but it's uh, it, none, none of it's a guarantee. You know, one thing that when we talk like player evaluations and rankings and stuff, I always remember. I think it was like 2017 or 18. They do like the GM survey, and it was you know what player would you most want to start your franchise with? Right. And it was like overwhelmingly Carl Anthony Towns was like the number one guy that year. And ever since then, he's never even received a vote since that GM survey. Right. Like it changed that quickly. He was the guy that almost every team would want. And then over the course of one season, everyone decided they were out on him. Yeah. I mean, was that more of a product of Giannis coming through? I don't even remember what, like, who I think it was that. I mean, like looking at Towns' numbers, it's not like they ever really fell off. I mean, this was before he had the injury season. Um, and that that might have been around the time that Jimmy Butler came to town and <laughs> kind of stirred things up. Um, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, I think it was more so just other players passing them up, which that's not going to change anytime soon with the amount of talent coming into the league. It's like, I mean, you could be, you could be a top five player one year and then have just a slightly worse year. And all of a sudden you're the 12th best player because there's so much other ascending talent. <laughs> right. And you know, I've always been a towns guy, so I don't yeah. think it's like, you know, again, you could be having the conversation. Does he have enough help? Is he more of a number two? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Cause yeah, like second year in the league, he was putting up. 25 and 12 shooting like 52 37 83 and it's like well what how are you how are you not going to start your franchise with this guy he's 21 right. years old it's just it, my point i guess is that it's really hard to get to the point where you become a year over year consensus guy you know like by by like i mean lebron obviously reached that but by like 2011 like kevin durant was if you were talking best players in the league he could not be lower than three no matter what and i feel like the rest of these guys just don't have enough resume to fall back on yet where it's like, I mean, not that ever anybody was saying Devin Booker is a top three guy, but you know, it, it feels like his ranking week to week could go like, could be anywhere as, as high as like the eighth best player in the league or as low as like the 30th best player in the league. And we're just, you know, we're just judging it by how each game or each week or each series goes. Um, I, I don't know what to think of him. I don't know. I mean, it, I liked him a lot until he no showed the last couple of games of that series. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it you could you could almost go you could use like the accolades almost to kind of guide your conversation, like how many All NBA teams did this guy make in a row or something sure. like that. And it's like Tatum only has one All NBA team, although I'm sure he'll get in this this year. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I think that's a huge part of it as well. I think there is something to be said, and I, this is going to come off as maybe a knock on Booker. I, I don't really mean it to, but like I think the guys who are truly transcendent and truly like super, super, super all-time superstars, you know, like Booker had the numbers for the last like several years before Chris Paul showed up, but he never made, he wasn't making all NBA because the Suns are winning 24 games, you know? And I think it, there's just, it's hard to measure, but if you're a good enough or great enough player, your team is just always going to have enough of a baseline that the awards are going to come. You know, like you're, if if you're like truly one of the 10 best players in the league, I, I don't, I think it's fair to say that your team can't win 25 games. You know, it's like if you're that good, your team should automatically be winning 35 plus games. It seems like that. Yeah, at least. Yeah, like 35, because if we have this conversation about like the LeBron Lakers, it gets a little. All right. Yeah, we get a little in the weeds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, God, this was like the most frustrating 
season for me to watch. I just, I really can't even talk about it. It was just, it was really wearing on me around like January, February, uh, like in, during the dog days of the regular season. Uh, this is, this is just like ripping open those scabs, but uh, we got to get out of here. You know, we're up over an hour at this point, but uh, good chat with you as always, man. We, we kind of hit a bunch of random stuff, but you know, outside of the two playoff series, there's, you know, we're, we're, we're nearing that dreaded like true dead zone in the NBA season. But, you know, luckily we have the draft uh, in a little under a month and then summer league right after that. So, um, you know, the calendar never really stops. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.